Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Last week, we started delving into the fruits of the Spirit, and like I said, in the next eight to nine weeks, we're going to go over all of these beautiful things that have been bestowed upon us in the Word of God of how we are to live our life while we travel through this journey called Christianity. The question I have this morning is one that is often posed to us, whether it's in the religious realm or even in the secular realm. And that question is, what would you like to change about yourself? What would you like to change about yourself? Now, some of you are already laughing. Some of you are looking at each other and said, I know what I would change about you. But how often do you point that question to yourself? What would I like to change about myself? And the follow-up question becomes, what have I done to change those things? What have I done to change those things? Some of you have read self-help books. Others have joined a gym. Uh, myself, I began swimming almost six weeks ago now. But the question becomes, what are we doing to make change? And I know even some of you in this room are pursuing a degree or have pursued a degree. Others of you have become religious, which is very, very, um, you need to be very careful when it comes to thinking of yourself as a religious person. But today, I'm going to continue the teaching series for those who want to change. This is a particular series for us who have a desire to make our lives count, to leave our mark on this society. And we have nine beautiful qualities that everyone should want in their life. And it is my personal goal, and it should be your personal goal, to possess these nine qualities. If you have a desire in your life to please God, then this morning we need to lean in and we need to listen. Because there's good news for us. There is good news for us because God makes his power available to change your life. So let's jump right in this morning. And I invite you to turn to page 616 in your pew Bibles. Or you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5 starting in verse 16. Ephesians, I'm sorry, not Ephesians, Galatians. See, even pastors make mistakes, you know? Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. I had Ephesians on the brain for some reason. It says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, these famous verses go well beyond the walls of the church. And at the center of this scripture are two contrasting lists. One is the works of the flesh, and then the other is the fruit of the Spirit. And for the weeks to come, we'll talk about what's in the second list. We'll talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And we may not always go back to Galatians chapter 5 each week as we look at all of these. But the fruit of the Spirit tells us that God wants all of us to grow to spiritual maturity. In order to grow, you essentially need the power to change. In addition to the power to change, you need a picture of change. And to round out that process, not only do you need the power and you need the picture of change, but you also need the process to change. So again, you need the power to change and the picture of change and the process to change. But first, we're going to talk about the process of change. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So we begin to get a picture about the process of how God changes us. It's little by little and level by level. Second, the picture of change. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. But in fact, the Bible teaches that you were a chosen believer for the purpose, the purpose for God to change you. That was what God wanted to do. He wants to change you. God wants us to be holy. And to see the picture of the changes God wants to make in us and in our life, we need not look further than Jesus Christ. 
like you, God has a desire that you change. God has a passion for your growth. You are made to grow just as a student in school is expected to move from grade to grade. So a believer is called to grow. And as Christians, we grow. You cannot stop a a Christian from growing because God is inside of them performing this. And not to burst your bubble thinking that this was all you. This is God making that change within you. God says, I'm going to do this for you. But you got to get out of the way. You got to get away from your own thinking. You let me think for you. I, he says, I'm a little bit better at this than you, so why don't you step aside and let me take over? A believer is called on to grow. A non growing Christian is a square circle. Follow me? A Square circle or a glass hammer. Has anyone ever worked with a glass hammer before? Once, right? Maybe once. But Christians, by definition, grow. If you are stagnant, then you are in sin. If you are stagnant, you are in sin. But lastly, you also need the power to change. And that's what I want you to focus on for the next few moments. So, in growth, we have to realize that we're caught. We're all caught. You're caught between two powers or two forces. And hasn't this been your experience when you want to change? You know, the depiction in Hollywood and everywhere else shows the angel and the devil, right, on your shoulder. You're fighting two powers. You're caught. You're trapped. And you're torn. So what is your goal? What is your goal to combat this? From the very beginning of your life, you were made to grow spiritually, intellectually, relationally and morally like Jesus himself. God's ultimate goal for you is to have the character of Christ. So let's talk about those two fights in addition to those two natures. You need to know that there are two natures in every Christian. First is the flesh, our sinful nature. And then we talk about the spirit. But the point is, you live in a war zone between your sinful nature, also known as the flesh, and the spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Galatians chapter 5. Keep in mind that before your conversion, 
You are fighting against God. And that's what we call your first fight. When we are in sin, we are fighting against God. And then, after that conversion, God is fighting against the evil in you. And this is what we call your second fight. All human beings were built to worship him and center their lives around him. And when you have centered your life on lots of other things, it becomes difficult. There is a fight. There is an internal fight within yourself that God and evil are fighting against each other. When we don't center our lives around God, this is what you will experience. You will experience a breakdown in your life. To live without God is like trying to pull a wagon without wheels. It kind of works, but not as efficiently as it would if there were wheels, does it? When it drags and it scrapes, eventually that wagon's going to grind down to nothing. And then what are you left with? God wants to be a part of your life. And your life before Christ kind of works for a while. But eventually, as time goes on, your life will disintegrate. The philosopher Aristotle argued that virtues build up a society where vices tear apart a community. Now you can think of a vice really as a self-seeking behavior. In other words, actions that probably unwittingly cause anarchy and chaos. Vices reduce humans to animal-like behavior. Here's a catalog of vices. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are really... Four categories to list here. Engaging in sexual sin, eating too much, drinking too much, and engaging in idolatry. Trace the list with me for just a moment to see all four of these categories. Three of those are sexual sins. Two are spiritual sins. And two are of wild living. And this list isn't exhaustive. Understand that this list is not exhaustive because Paul adds these words at the end, and things like these. So we would pause here and understand that the description of these vices shouldn't make you think Paul went to hell to describe the behavior of demons. No, the description here is one that is taken from the average neighborhood or homeowners association 
or the next civic meeting that you might be a part of. The list describes normal people, people who are outside the influence and power of the Holy Spirit. So now you have inside you two natures pulling in opposite directions. You are in the midst of a deadly feud. The first fight before your conversion, you had to lose. You had to lose. You were fighting God. And the second fight, you must win. Because God is fighting on your behalf. So we're caught in an inner war. Do you want to know just how difficult the war can be? Promise me this afternoon that every day for the next 30 days you will spend 30 minutes praying and reading your Bible. Can I get everyone to sign an affidavit this morning saying that you're going to do that? Is that realistic? It should be. But that's what it's saying. God gives us a promise, and he fulfills that promise. Why aren't we fulfilling our end? Because we put up a fight. We're going to find ourselves going on for two or three days thinking about this thing, about this sin in our life. And we try to find ways to um, make it okay. To understand that, you know what, maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe if I stall long enough, it'll fix itself. Maybe if I ignore the problem, it'll fix itself. We're caught. And then we'll come back and say later on, how did I let this happen? How did I let this happen? So not only are we caught, you should also understand that there is good news for us. We can become empowered. You'll need more power than just willpower in your life. You'll need God's power. Because I will say this. Some of you will agree. Some of you might disagree. Change is possible. Change is possible. Your life is not hopeless. Your life is not hopeless. If you are a believer in Christ, you have an assignment that you can not fulfill. Let me say that again because I don't think you caught that. If you are a believer in Christ, you have an assignment that you cannot fulfill. Does that make any sense? It makes sense when we turn the power over to Christ. It makes sense when we realize this life is not our own. That we have no power at all. We do not have the ability to do what God wants us to do without God. But he empowers us. He empowers us. You have a privilege that you cannot forsake. You have a family that you cannot forget. I'll be willing to bet 
that not everybody in this room knows everybody's name. And I'll be the first to tell you that I will probably forget some of the names. I know the face. But isn't it great that God knows us? Isn't it great that he is there and he knows all of us? And he knows exactly what to do in all of our lives? But we have to allow that to happen. We have to allow that to happen. But most importantly of all, we have a God that we cannot fathom. So when we talk about the goodness of God, it doesn't even scratch the surface. When we talk about the promises of God, we cannot fully understand. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because I know that in our Christian walk, in our kingdom life, God will reveal to us what we need to know when we need to know it. This is why we're not on the same level. This is a body of Christ. We all work together for the common good. And when one of those parts is not in line with the machine of we call the body of Christ, there becomes a problem. It doesn't work to its full capacity. Every aspect of the Christian life, you have to understand, is supernatural. No matter if you are talking about worship, if you're talking about prayer, if you're talking about evangelism, if you're talking about giving, or even obedience to God, there is not one aspect of your Christian life where you grow by your own effort only. Not one aspect. Instead, we grow by virtue of our relationship to the Holy Spirit. And like in today's passage, the Holy Spirit is mentioned seven times. He's all over the place. But listen, you are more than your sinful nature. You are more than your sinful nature. The Spirit himself first regenerates you by giving you a new nature. Then the Spirit renews you and empowers you to obey God's commands. The Spirit rises up within us to create within us a hunger for God. You have a passion for God and for good. You have a new instinctful nature for living a holy life. And again, you are more than your sinful nature. So, we look at a quick survey of the Spirit's work here. And we could spend the better part of this day telling you what the Holy Spirit can do for you and what He does for you. But in, in essence, the Spirit gives us confidence in the inspiration of Scripture. As you read Scripture, the Spirit speaks to us through the pages, telling us how real the Word of God really is. But the Spirit does more than that, for He is powerfully active in your salvation experience. He helps us take God's timeless truths, and He makes them come alive in us. 
When you hear the gospel, it is the Holy Spirit who comes and convinces you of the need for that gospel. The Spirit was also the one who miraculously caused the virgin birth with Mary. And lastly, the Spirit is the one who provides wisdom and direction in our life. You see, because the Holy Spirit isn't just a force. We should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Instead, we should follow the Bible's lead by speaking of the Holy Spirit using personal pronouns such as he, just as Jesus does. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to your remembrance that all that I have said to you John chapter 14. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we realize that, we also realize that our spiritual growth isn't natural. It's supernatural and it's not natural. You'll need more power than just that willpower in your life. You need God's power. You cannot simply say, I'm going to be more kind, like we talked about last week. I'm going to devote myself to kindness. I'm going to do kind things, and that's it. I am determined, and that is exactly what's going to happen. No. We need God's power in addition to our willpower. You might wake up only to say, I want to be loving But then you grit your teeth to love that person. Just as you don't fly midair on your own. So you will not be good on your own. You need an outside power to be good. A blender, a coffee maker, and a TV all have to be plugged in in order for it to work. If we are going to live a life that is pleasing to God... We cannot do so without being plugged in. We must be empowered. John chapter 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever continues in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Notice the fruit of the Spirit are not commands. These are not commands. These are not laws. These are really more attitudes and how a person's heart should be bent. Our state lawmakers here um, write laws to make a person gentle or good. You can put signs up that outlaw the vices and promote virtues. You can reward good behavior and punish bad behavior. But none of this really works in the end because love, joy, and peace cannot be enforced in the end. In fact, the power you need to grow is right now inside of all of us. But let me reassure you, the Spirit is alive in you to create and sustain a hunger for holiness. 
And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The moment you come to spiritual life and allow the Holy Spirit to be a part of you and realize that Jesus rose from the dead, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who was raised... Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You have resurrection power available to you. You have that power. Jesus Christ offers you the power you need to become what he wants you to be. You have the ability. You have been empowered. But also know in this process, we call the kingdom life. We know that we are empowered. But in that, there's a partnership. We have a partnership with God. If you're going to starve your sinful nature and feed your spiritual side, then you must do three items. And here are the three actions that you and I must take to experience change. First of all, we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So in other words, to be led by the Spirit, we must allow the Spirit to lead us. Simply explained, don't you think? We need to allow the Spirit to lead us. Like a herd of cattle follows the rancher and sheep follows the shepherd. We are to be led by our leader, the Spirit of God. As the wind drives the ship, so the Spirit leads your life. The Spirit is not a leader like a pace car in the Indy 500. Instead, he is a leader like a locomotive on a train. We do not follow in our own strength. Instead, we are led by his power. So, we walk by the Spirit. Meaning, we stayed hooked up to the divine source of power and going wherever he leads. How often do you see a caboose of a train lead the train? But that's what we essentially try to do, don't we? We want to lead. We want to be in control. So we're led by the Spirit. So I ask you, do you want Him to lead you? Because you have to want it. You have to want it. First, you must be led by the Spirit. But also, we need to keep in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And hidden inside verse 16 here is a double negative in the original language of the New Testament. See, the double negative is a no-no for English. Those who are English majors or have spent any time learning it and going beyond the normal um, educational requirements for it, know that this is, not, this is a no-no. But it highlights the hope for Christians. 
This highlights the hope for us. Whenever you see in the Bible words such as walk this way, the Bible is telling us how to live. Walk is another way of saying live like this. He's speaking about our lifestyle. Even the Old Testament used the word walk in this way. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. It is commanded to us. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So if we want to grow, then we need the right tools to grow. The tools God has given us to grow as believers are worship, biblical truth, prayer, evangelism, fellowship, and the Lord's Supper. These holy habits are the habits you need to grow. Think of the spiritual disciples as the pathway the Spirit travels to empower and change us. Like a weightlifter goes to the gym, Christians are to go to the holy habits in order to grow. And thirdly, in this, we have to be able to crucify our sinful nature. And to those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and Desires, Galatians 5.25. Many of you have one habit, and many have several, that maybe you'd like to break. How badly do you wish to be free of that habit and that sinful way that plagues us? I will be so bold as to say you need to be ruthless. You need to be ruthless in your habits. But we also endure the pain. We endure the pain of those habits. Because crucifixion hurts. Crucifixion hurts. And your process of change will also be painful. But we must also be decisive. How badly do you wish to be free of your sinful ways? Some of you have crucified your sinful nature. But then later on it returns back to the scene where it was executed. Everyone can change. Everyone can change. How would you complete this sentence? It's just like me to blank. It's just like me to blank. Is it just like me to be late all the time? It's just like me to be unable to stay on a diet? It's just like me to blow up, to be depressed, to get angry? When you walk in step with the Spirit, He has the ability to change your personality. He has that ability. Consider an acorn for a moment. One acorn has the potential to populate the entire earth with trees. 
For when you see one acorn, you not only have one tree, but you also have all the acorns on this future fully grown tree. And all of the life production in one acorn. It has the ability to produce an infinite progression of life in just that one acorn. The Spirit of God offers all of us this possibility. We can change. There is hope for us. I stated at the beginning that you needed the power to change, the picture to change, and the process where you change. And so I close this morning with the final part of that, which is the process to change. The process is two parts. First, God changes you at conversion. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Give your life to Christ today by doing these things. First, you turn from your sin. And secondly, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The second part of your change is after your conversion. And the process is, like I said earlier, level by level, little by little. The picture of a changed life is these nine virtues. And we're going to go over those. But really, they are a beautiful portrait of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The power to change. The power to change is the power of God living inside of us. Only one thing will keep you from changing and becoming the person you and God want you to be. And it's not the devil. And it's not your spouse. It's not your circumstances. It's the word that I first learned from my grandmother when she was teaching me vocabulary at a young age. And that word is procrastination. Procrastination. So I leave you this morning with a searching question, so to speak. When are we going to grow up? When are we going to grow up? It starts when we begin following Christ. Amen? Dave. And together, please. Sing this. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, the 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here together today. I pray as we leave these doors that we're mindful of the opportunities that you will place before us to tell others about Christ, to tell them that they also could be empowered by your Holy Spirit so that they too can enjoy the kingdom life, so that they too can know what it is to experience peace, joy, kindness, and all the virtues that you've given us, Lord. Thank you so much for our time. And as we leave here again today, bless the youth as they make their way to camp. Give them a time of um, intervention, a time where you will come and speak to them. You will speak to their hearts. And that may be, Lord, that some of them will come to know you for the first time. And we look forward to sharing that when we return. Lord, we just thank you so much for your blessings. And we give all this to you and to your glory. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.